0: Hi, my friends. I do this work with all my heart for you. So please, contribute generously to Future Primitive. Hi, my friends who listen to Future Primitive. I am on the phone today with Andrea Matheson. She is in Ontario, Canada. And since 1995, she has been passionately consumed in developing the Raven Essence Project. To her surprise and delight, Her intuitive work has unearthed a living philosophy that over the past years continues to evolve as she grows and changes. I am on her website, which is called The Raven Essence Project, and um, I am really moved to start this conversation with her. So I guess, Andrea, what has attracted us to each other is um, our deep dedication to listening to the earth. And so I'd like you to begin by telling us about your relationship with Gaia, the living earth.
1: Oh, big... <laughs> That's a big entry point. Um, maybe I can say that a dream that I had close to the time when I'd just begun to make flower essences in 1995... In this dream, I was walking into the woods, and there is a square, like a cafe table, with four people sitting around it on quite high chairs, right in the middle of the woods. Two men and two women. And as I walk up to them, all of them say, one after the other, the same phrase. So it's really imprinted in my my heart and soul. Precious is my garden. And my garden is me. Mm. So I hear that four times. And then I walk down to a stream and leave them. At the time that I had this stream, I was making essences and very involved with the deep listening to the individual plants in my garden. Um, flower essences are not aromatherapy, Joanna. I'm sure you know this, but it's more like the Bach remedies where you, you um, make a vibrational tincture of, of a plant uh, in water. And, um, and then the art or the alchemy of a flower essence is that you're also listening to the story or the frequency or the language of the, of the plant And that comes in in, um, a definition that goes with the essence. So I was very involved in this at that time, and I knew how precious my garden was to me because I had over and over been crossing that subtle threshold between an ordinary garden that looks pretty into a soulful garden that feels numinous at many levels. Mm. So I had projected the the preciousness out on the garden, but the dream was the recipe for the deeper part of the work, which was, yes, that's precious, but so are you. Now, that was a lot more work to integrate that, and it is in the balance between the outer and the inner, um, the yin and the yang of that that has been my... um, Passionate
0: exploration over these years, so would you speak about how it, how it began, how a plant and you, a plant in your garden and you came to penetrate each other, came to share the same level of consciousness?
1: flower essences, for some time, and I appreciated them. Um, but it was a naturopath who asked me to make one from a particular plant in my garden, and it was a detoura. Now, the datura is a hallucinogenic plant. <laughs>
0: mm-hmm.
1: It was fascinating. It's the jimson weed, the the beautiful, and sometimes it's called an angel's trumpet, and um, Georgia O'Keeffe has done some extraordinary paintings of the jimson weed or the datura. Yes. Um, it was a rather significant or prophetic um, invitation to make one from that plant, because looking back, I have over 350 essences now, but looking back, that particular one was signaling where I was going, and I can share some of the definition about that um, later if we want. Yes. I didn't realize, at the time, all the steps that had been set up for me by Spirit, to, um, that conspired so that in that moment I would know what to do. Mm-hmm. Um, when I went outside to make the Essence, I had the traditional formula approach. Um, where you take a plant, you put it in water, and you call the nature spirits in to be present, to transfer their energy to the water. I knew all the technique. Mm-hmm. But when I stepped outside, what I heard was, don't do it the way others do it. And I went, oh-oh. <laughs> and what I heard is you have to bring yourself to the process. So here again, it was the invitation to come forward with who I was, not to just give away the power or the inspiration to the other. So I had to really stop and think, well, who am I? And at that time, I had been teaching piano lessons for many years and working as a concert pianist and so on. So I I thought, well, I'm a musician, but I can't bring my piano out in the yard. So what I did was used overtone chant. And um, that was a way that I brought myself more fully into the alchemy of the process. Now, then going and listening to the plant, um, I found it very easy just to look at the plant and then get very soft in myself and open to phrases that I would hear, and I wrote them down, and then later I wove them into an, um, a more articulate definition. I didn't think anything about it. It just came so naturally to me um i had not even considered Joanna at that point that i was really intuitive i didn't i didn't see myself in that fashion but i the process was so shimmeringly sensuous mm-hmm. and so such a depth of communion that i experienced that it was infectious and instead of just making the one plant i went around the garden and made Thirty of them that summer. Um, I
0: was just, I was just playing. That that's how it began. You um, reminded me of a beautiful memory of my childhood in the south of France where I grew up. Uh, it wasn't like here in New Mexico, like uh, this datura seems to grow. Some people, like some people, would call weed. But I would never wow. do that, but it grows it grows it invites itself all over the place. <laughs>
1: it certainly does,
0: but in my childhood, yeah. in this enchanted garden that I grew up partly in, there were trees, and they were sort of like like weeping willows, but with these beautiful chalices hanging from the branches. Because they were entire trees of Datura.
1: Oh, I know those ones. That's called a Brugmansia, and I've never grown one, but they are extraordinary. Yes.
0: That exquisite.
1: What, is, what a memory.
0: Exquisitely beautiful. Thank you for that. So, can uh, can plants and the essences you, um, you create together, can... Can they be feminine? Are they feminine? I'm thinking about when I look at those trees in my memory, I I think about them as the most uh, divine expression of the divine feminine.
1: I think you're on to something there. I would say that flowers in general um, do invite a participation, a very visceral and sensuous participation with, with the deep feminine. I wouldn't limit them to that completely, but the, certainly they don't pretend to be anything but who they really are in their blossoming. They are so completely open and and radiant and unashamed, you know? <laughs> oh,
0: beautiful, beautiful. Unashamed, yes. I'm sure the concept of shame would would just be... Uh, Mind-blowing, I want to say, to the earth herself.
1: Well, I think one of the things that was so healing for me was to be in such an intimate exchange with with the plant kingdom because I was really struggling with my own disconnect from my own deep feminine. Yes. And that experience led me step by step by step into the intimacy and the intricacy of... Of another language, a language that mirrored something that was very recessive in me, and um, it kind of coaxed it out through the interchanges. I thought I was making products for a business, but I was actually healing myself and learning about a deep process that had application for our whole culture you know, that is so disconnected from, from the living wisdom of the world. When you start with something like, okay, I'm going to make an essence, and then it's going to be bottled, it's going to have a label, and you're going to sell it, and you're going to, you know, build a business, the, 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 the typical business masculine brain comes in and destroys, it can destroy, if you're not very careful, the sacredness, and the uh, transparency of an alchemical process. But what happened for me was that I, I had an inspiration to continue listening to the heart of the business itself as though it was as alive as my garden because I found that process so rich and I thought I don't want to become just another business person here. So if I listen to the the living pulse of Raven, the Raven Essence Project. How do these essences want to move out into the world? Which ones want to be made? Um, what is, um, how are they to be used? See, I didn't go and study with anybody else. I thought, I can trust my garden to teach me, the plants are teaching me. I can let the business evolve with the same intuitive heart openness what would it be like if I it did that? So I started with that premise, and then as I went along, if the yang came in, which it did, you know, when sometimes mm-hmm. things were financially low, and I think, okay, I've got to get such and such moving, yeah. it was as though the essences would just turn away from me, just turn their faces away and say, I'm not working with her. The energy would just drop, and not, and I would have to come back to base and say, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, okay, what are we doing together again? Mm-hmm. It was palpable. Now, I don't think we think of um, our businesses as being alive, but after 20 years of doing this, I have been remade over and over and over again. By the heart of my own business and it knew far more soulfully and wisely than i did where i was meant to go and thank god i had the um courage to keep surrendering at different critical points and um and allow a process of mystery like the garden to continue leading me into new directions
0: I am looking at your blog and um, I'm reading the words Nature Divination, Reclaiming a Forgotten Language. Now, I am fascinated by language and how the world uh, is created through language and language creates us to a certain extent. Would you talk about all that? Um,
1: That brings up a number of things that I could address here. Before I started making the essences, I was working with a guide, and um, there's a whole story behind that, Um, uh, but I won't go into that right now. Okay. And at one point, so I was doing automatic writing with this guide, and I was beginning to open my intuition through the the deep listening here. And at a certain point, this guide said to me, I'm having difficulty getting through to you. Your head is too, like, kind of square and box-like. You need to write poetry. And I thought, oh my god, I'm not a poet. I don't know, you know, it felt like a real challenge. But at this point, I'd learned enough to um, trust the guidance. So I went to my desk, cleared it completely, and sat there in front of a bank- blank piece of paper and waited for a poem to come, you know. No. Nothing happened. And so I, my body started to move, and I went with that and just let myself roll around on the chair and down to the floor and back up. And then when I finally picked up the pen, the poem flowed out. What I realized was i was i wrote so I wrote two volumes of poem and lubricated that that kind of square head into a different relationship where the wisdom of my body would inform the language, and that became much more authentic and uh, full of metaphor and energy um, compared to the way that I was articulating so there was Entry through the body and and the awakening of a different language. I didn't realize how that would affect when I went out to the garden to listen to the plants. I had a more agile relationship between my brain and my body. So that in resonating with the plants, I'd look at them, I'd see what they'd see, but I would also go into this kind of dancing, inner dancing sensation. And the, it was as though that was the poetry or the link with the poetic connection so the plant could find its way into, through resonance into my consciousness. So that's a, bringing an enlivened body-soul into relationship with nature so that we are on a similar frequency. I think that's something that for me the plants seem to speak it more in metaphor and poetry or poetic sensibility than a diagnostic if you take this it will affect that Mm -hmm. like a prescriptive or descriptive thing Uh, that felt pretty flat-footed and not true of the plant Um, the plant's essence you know its frequency there's another implication because this, uh, to this nature divination and the language here, because now I'm working with other people to take them through a process of opening to how they can cross these thresholds and participate with the living heart of nature, which I think is critical for these times. Um, critical. Absolutely. and And that, I think, is my current mission, is to assist people to open find that language that's missing. And our current language about the earth is very patriarchal, particularly English. We talk about stewardship of the earth or caring for the earth or having dominion over the earth, and it's all built upon separateness and as though the earth is something that we are responsible for. Whereas other cultures have relational language built right into the structure of their um uh speech for instance when you talk about brother fox or father sky or mother earth there's a familiar connection that breeds affection and relationship so we we have a lot to work against with english as it is but what i find when i take people outside I take them out with an issue that they want to look at. And I say, why don't you just go where your body feels called to go? Well, already we're into the body zone. We're not into the head. And, and when you get there, to whether it's a tree or a plant or a stone, sit there and really observe. Now, Guti was the expert in observation. And observation is one of the doorways into the living language to see but look closer and see more and keep looking until the seeing drops down from the first glimpse of, oh, that's what that is. It's a, um, a red geranium to, oh, my God, it has five petals. It has, you, you, you start to see more and more. Mm-hmm. You move into the heart and into the body. And at a certain point there begins to be established a frequency of resonance. And then on that line, there is something that begins to be reciprocal, that moves back and forth between you and the other. much Mm -hmm. and she realized that she had various
0: Wonderful that it thrills you, and yes, I I want to. Um, I mean, may, it seems that one of your your reasons to be is to help people thrill back to nature, back yes, to to the natural world. Tell us about raven essences and how, well, the story and also how these alchemical essences can can help us to reconnect with our thrill of being one with nature.
1: that the essences in and of themselves can. I, um, I'm actually still, after 20 years of making them and working with them with people, am rather perplexed about how they work, um, how effective they are, and I have struggled with the traditional paradigm of using products from nature to heal us. To me, that is one more, one more usurping or or taking from the earth in a self centered uh-huh. way.
0: Patriarchal, um, yes.
1: Yeah, exactly. And that bothered me right from the start, Joanna. I thought, um, I don't. I'm not a healer. I, I I'm not even. This sounds may sound appalling, but I'm not even really interested in helping people feel more comfortable or diseases and illnesses. There's many people who are far better at anything like that. I am passionate about tending that um, part of a person's soul that has maybe become hidden from view. I mean, James Hillman used to call it the daemon. The essence of that that come forward. Now, if essences can assist In in that process of self-emergence, that's where I get my um, deepest satisfaction. But the tendency to put them back into the allopathic, have you got something that will cure headaches, just makes me shudder, you know. So after um, about two years of starting the project, I um, had an idea. I thought, if I'm not going to use them in that typical way, what if the essences were to provide a portal into the living earth? What if I turn this around instead of how can they help us? What if I flip that and said, how can this window through um, a peony, for instance, or an iris, if I looked through that focused lens of that frequency, What would Gaia have to say through the lens of iris or peony? Well, that opened huge vortexes of um, possibility and information. I ended up spending days uh, going into deep meditation and received a whole alternative set of definitions because now I was communing directly, not with the flower, but through the flower into the heart of the earth. And I received information about earth changes, about interspecies relationships, about viruses and bacteria, about, I was just, I was so blown open that I put the writing away for a couple of years and didn't touch it. Mm-hmm. Um, now I'm bringing those writings forward and I've grown up enough um, to be able to, understand what was given to me a glimpse into the into the heart of the earth and it and i think there is more consciousness now to be able to receive that the earth truly is alive and articulate and that we can commune so i'm writing a um a series of ebooks called earth light which is a work workbook to assist people to commune with the sacred earth again and um, these writings have, have been uh, slowly developing in me as not being crazy. I'm not, I shouldn't talk in the negative, but they have value, but they took a lot for me to grow into them and, and see what the patterns, the deepened patterns really were. So I know I've taken us away from raven essences, but while I continued working with the project, there was this other quiet secret life going on where I was having these deeper communions with with the earth and um, uh, ancient stone up in Georgian Bay communing with snake energy, and, and these did not come out publicly. This was not my public work. <laughs> so that's where I am as I sit with you today, is holding this vast amount of information that just is... I'm
0: pregnant with. I'm pregnant with four books, actually, Joanna. Marvelous, marvelous. Uh, I do, I would ask for your generosity to share a little bit about uh, your relationship with snake energy.
1: You would
0: like a bit more of that? Yes. Yes.
1: You wish. Ah, you, you. Okay. My first dream as a child was a snake dream. Okay. And it was a nightmare. It was a reoccurring nightmare. So, I mean, I have been imprinted with snake right from the get go. Um, not an easy relationship for a child. But, um, and um, yet in other meditations, snake has come through in dreams all throughout my life. Last, uh, before the end of last year, I went into meditation and asked what is important for me to pay attention to in the first two months of 2050. And what I heard was, you need to turn up every day and be open to source. Well that felt like quite an imperative, so I did, I'd get up early in the morning before dawn and go into meditation. And what came was completely unexpected. But they were encounters with snake energy, like a shamanic journey, each day. So for 60 days, I had these experiences and wrote them all down. Um, And uh, now I have what's called the Book of Snake, which I'm growing into. (laughs) Um, And... Uh, then I went back through 20 years of journals and looked through all the journals to see how this theme had been working me throughout my life. What does it mean to be in such deep relationship with snakes? Um, I can't pin it down to a simple manner, but it has something to do with the most sacred energy on the earth and the most reviled, the split between yeah. those two things. Yeah. the vital life energy in all of us. And snake carries that in in that dual split between sacred and reviled. So I think there's something about how I'm to um, bridge the, the, the depth of that. And there, have, yeah.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I'm pausing here. I have my book of snake in front of me, but I'm not sure I should read you anything <laughs> Has that answered anything for you?
0: Well, it uh, it resonates for me again with the uh, with the patriarchal colonization of our minds. Absolutely, uh, I
1: would agree.
0: That yeah. so baffles our hearts. I mean, there's a there's a crack there somewhere that we can enter between the colonization of our minds and, and the yearning of our hearts.
1: And I think that the role of relationship with the natural world plays a key part here. Because there is an enormous library of information and energy right outside our doors that we have lost the ability to um read uh to receive to um and to and to enter into and bring the gifts of what we have in and nourish that landscape we've lost that whole reciprocal uh language i i call it language but it's a living thing that involves every bit of our artistry our sound our movement our um spontaneity our playfulness
0: Um, Playfulness.
1: Yeah, I have grandchildren now. Yes. And I take take them out and play with them outdoors to keep this language alive in them. Recently, my four-year-old grandson, we were picking up pine cones under a tree, and I said, come, you can listen to the tree. And he said, trees don't talk. And I... (laughs) I was just shocked, and I said, "Oh yes, they do. Uh-huh. You just have to listen with different ears." Uh-huh. And I felt I cannot let him get away with that. They cannot talk when he's so young. <laughs> we have to keep that alive.
0: When do you when do you sense that, um, or when or how do you sense that the disconnection, uh? In our oneness with the natural world, kind of disappears. Or why? Um,
1: I think the Judeo-Christian split has cut off a lot. I think the uh, law, the rise of the patriarchy, severed us from that. Relationship and there's been a lot written out written about that as well. Um, uh, Richard Lowe has written very well about the last child in the is this the last child in the woods um, and nature deficit disorder. Yes, yes, yes. You, you know, there's yeah. a lot out yeah. about that. Yeah. But um, while people go out and enjoy the natural world, they still do not know how to cross that threshold into communion so you can have appreciation but it's not yet communion and there is a, an invitation to an intimacy that is so deeply nourishing and informative um, I've, I'm, th- that's what intrigues me that needs to be crossed and I think indigenous cultures have that in their bones. The Western world has sacrificed that and seen it as superstition and um, uh, ritual that is irrelevant and traded it in for scientific knowledge. Now, the scientific knowledge is essential, so it's not saying science is bad and we go back to the indigenous, but there is something about the discipline needed for the Western mind to re-enchant ourselves or re commit ourselves and humble ourselves that we don't know everything and that there is wisdom there that can directly feed us. That's that's a a real threshold of um, uh, growth for us as a sophisticated culture. But I think it's very possible, and that's the work I'm doing with groups and individuals now.
0: Thank you. Um, yes, I mean it's not uh, it's not at all surprising to me that um the first thing that happens when I ingest the plant medicine uh in terms of um in terms of um m- mind-frequency-changing and heart-frequency-changing plant is that my connection with nature is immediately amplified. Usually it's uh, in taking something that comes from nature, but that's the first thing that happens when I'm in an altered state. and My, my connection with nature is just absolutely... The volume is turned way up and the connection... And the relationship is turned is completely turned up.
1: Well, um, you're talking about psychotropic. Yes, um, I am. Yes, and and um, I think there's a real role in that respect. That's um, I haven't pursued that except in my teens, and then it wasn't very sacred. Um, right. But I too had that experience then, and the. Um, the sacred dimension of working with plant medicine and uh, uh, altering states of consciousness is not something that I feel skilled enough to hold the space for people doing that. Right. Um, But I agree with you. However, I would think that because you already have a basis of a rich vocabulary from your early life, Growing up in, the southern, in southern France, you have a living reference from which to draw upon. And what concerns me is many young children now don't have the, the playtime and the exposure, um, the freedom to explore nature, to develop that basic vocabulary, oh. so they're starved in the psyche,
0: right.
1: and that, that's very dangerous.
0: Right, they have no, they have no, they have less and less natural context, yes.
1: That's right, you have to have a basic vocabulary to begin with, otherwise it becomes too insular, just me and my body, and uh-huh. I look out at the natural world, and it, you know, it's, yeah, it's, yes, it's I don't know like a television
0: show, it. yeah, it's like yeah. another show. Nature is yeah, appears like another show yes
1: yeah.
0: yeah what about love songs andrea
1: oh <laughs> yeah that's, uh, that's another aspect of my work where it's, um I composted my musical career um as a, as a pianist um i lost interest in performing other people's work, but I still retained an interest in, um, in sound and, um, and using my intuition with, with that, um, with sound making. So sometimes I will create a piece of music for a person. I call these soul lullabies where I'll connect with them and then go to my piano and improvise intuitively and create a a, a CD for them. But Love Songs is also using sound as a homeopathic frequency, very specifically in the body. And I think this is one of the realms that we can, once we are in deep communion with those frequencies of nature, we can have an impact very quickly and skillfully into the um, malleable frequencies inside the natural world through deep listening, coming into resonance with um, a place or a tree or a body of water, and listening for the frequencies of where, and then sounding that, and then tracking it until it comes to a new place of harmony. <clears throat> um so I do this with people but I also do it with um landscapes. So I go outside and, and listen, what is the frequency here? And and then try to emulate it exactly with my voice and then I listen again and this frequency shifts very easily and readily. So there's a that's a dance of song between me and the landscape. Um and I feel like it's soul food for the landscape. It's nourished. The landscape is nourished by our song. And we've forgotten how to do that. When I went to Ireland, this is this is not an aside, actually. i had been so used to listening to the plants in my garden and receiving a certain um, frequency when I tuned in. When I went to Ireland back in, I think it was 2004, the first time, there was a huge... Uh, birch, no, uh, beech tree, and I went to tune in on the beech tree, and I was stunned because what I heard was a song. Mm -hmm. Not words, but a song. Now, a song is a higher frequency than just words. It's, it's, It's quicker. But I think in Ireland, because they have cultivated so consciously for centuries their relationship with the Celts to the land that they have quickened that land in a way that it still sings it still vibrates at another frequency mm-hmm. and that i feel we have a responsibility to remember how to sing with the land so yeah that's why some some of the work that i'm doing now i call earth song mysteries because we have to enter the mystery and then sing with the earth again i don't think that's just a nice metaphor joanna mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. Very beautiful, very beautiful. I am so um, happy and grateful that um, our intuitions found each other.
1: Oh. <laughs> well, I am too, and um, it's a privilege to, to feel your deep listening with me. I feel you tracking as I um, listen for what to share with you.
0: Does it, it? It does enter. I would like to say every cell in my body. It's, it's a it's a cellular conversation. And, yeah. No, I mean it's so interesting that uh, uh, I get to um, fall in love with ninety eight percent of the people uh, I speak
1: with. But because you draw out the essence of each one of us, I I recognize that.
0: Well, that's a that's a a, a very, uh, very comforting statement coming from somebody who recognizes essence. <laughs> well, we we are at. Uh, the end of this particular conversation, and uh, I would like to ask you to take a moment and um, offer us your your closing words.
1: Maybe we could let Gaia have the last word. Um, I have a book of poems that i 've written. Um, based on these deep um, meditations with Gaia. And I've created them as a divinatory system. There are 120 poems. Why don't you choose a number from 1 to 120, and I'll find the resonant poem for for the closing.
0: 53.
1: Got it. (laughs) I love divinatory
0: Yes, I I love it, too.
1: They're playful, you know?
0: Yes, playful is the best.
1: This is uh, 53, is from the chapter called Remembering, and this is Gaius in the first person speaking. So she says, I cannot move. You must hold me kindly. soothe, and sing me with your love. For I am so heavy with grief that barely can I sing my song. I need you to remember with me. Touch anything and breathe me back with a gentle lullaby. I'm
0: speechless. I'm I'm speechless with delight (laughs) you chose well (laughs) okay then I guess we need to go our separate ways for now
1: thank you Joanna thank you so much bye for now
0: bye for now